School PR professionals spend a week or two each year networking, if they're lucky. We pour into this professional development and the conversations drive us in our work. Collaboration is one of the best parts of our job, but then we go back to our daily work and the buzz of bright conversations and innovation starts to wear off. Welcome to School PR Happy Hour. We seek to create a shared space of collaboration and an opportunity to continue those conversations long after the closing sessions of our state and national conferences. We are a community, a community of communicators that lean on each other in hard times and learn from each other regularly. This podcast is about just that, getting to know each other better and sharing our passions about furthering education one story at a time. Welcome back to School PR Happy Hour. I'm your host, Erin McCann. Today, we're talking with Adam Harris. Adam is the head of communications and storytelling for Arlington Heights in Chicago, Illinois. So now Adam and I, I would like to say Adam and I have known each other a couple of years, but I think it's probably more appropriate to say I have known of Adam for a couple of years, but I don't think he knew who I was. So I actually met Adam in, I think it was 2017. It's when Inspro was in San Antonio. Adam, does that sound right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Adam did this really amazing session on podcasting, actually, and I started some of my podcasting projects after that. So Adam, I did go up and introduce myself to you, but I'm not sure that I made a real impression. You know, Aaron, there was a lot of people coming up to me that day, <laughs> and I was signing so many, you know, babies' foreheads and things. Obviously. So I, I couldn't really, uh, I couldn't remember at the time, but it was great to follow up with you this past Inspra in DC. And um, yeah, this this feels good. I'm glad that you've had me on. Yeah, we're going to have a good time. And so, Adam, I think it's also important to mention that you were named to the Inspra 35 under 35 list. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. You know, it's taken a couple months for me to like sink into the fact that it's it's like a big deal award, you know? Um, mm-hmm. It takes everyone around you to kind of make you feel special in that way. So that makes me really, really happy. I think the best part about being honored with that is uh, the fact that I've been able to see how many people around me like came and wanted to congratulate me. Like that really meant a lot. Um, but other than that, I think, you know, we're all doing amazing, amazing work in Enspra and in school PR. And I just happen to be under the age of 35 years old. So Adam's being a little bit humble here. Um, the 35 under 35 is an award that the National School Public Relations Association, which you'll hear us call Enspra, they give this every two years, so you can't, they don't do it every year, you don't qualify every year, and it's for 35 people under the age of 35 that have been nominated by their peers for making a difference and sort of being an up-and-comer in school PR. So it is a pretty big deal, Adam. You should you should be very proud of yourself. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm not humble bragging. I just really, you know, I think we're all like navigating this field kind of the way we all individually do. And I'm glad that like the way I'm doing it is is hitting some people. That makes me happy. So on that note, can you tell us a little bit about how you made your way to the field of school public relations? Yeah. Um, I'm a broadcast journalism major at the University of Illinois. Um, and I, I guess when I was like, when I was a kid, eight, nine, 10, 11, like I, I was obsessed with radio. I was obsessed with sports talk radio and a particular station here in Chicago, which is 670 The Score. And I decided early on that I wanted to be at that station. I didn't care how, I didn't care if it was host, reporter, anchor, whatever it was. I just wanted to be at that station. And so it's funny how you make every decision from that point without knowing that you're making those decisions to get to where you want to be. And so through high school, you know, worked um, towards that. And then into college, did the same thing. Finally got my internship there and then got hired 
you know, worked a couple years of overnights, worked a couple years of like early morning shifts. And then before I knew it, it was eight, eight and a half years at 670 The Score here in Chicago, being a reporter, a host, an anchor, a producer, um, just generating content. I, I started to notice that I, I kind of like reached where I wanted to be, you know, like I, I didn't necessarily need my own show or want my own show. I think I was just like, okay, this is great. What's my next step? What's the next thing I like? I also wanted to leave the radio industry before I hated it. Um, it's a really tough, tough industry to go through. And so that was my, that was, that was basically my twenties. And, um, I started like coaching a local high school baseball team while I was working there, noticing I love kids. I was like, okay, maybe I'll be a teacher. What I did was I hired a, a career counselor and I was making very little money, but I wanted to put some something I valued, which was money, into something I valued, which was my career. The career counselor like was searching around and started going, you know, there's these PR jobs popping up in school districts. And from there, I was like, okay, that's definitely what I want to do. I want to tell their stories. And so from there, I just went on a couple interviews and landed in Arlington Heights. And it's been five years or four years, and it's been amazing. So you you didn't know that school PR was a job until this counselor told you about it. Right. Yeah. I just kind of like, it's like, I know I want to be in education. And I did not know that these were actual positions. That's incredible. So you've got this very cool title. And I've heard you kind of tell kind of the high version of the story. You're the head of communications and storytelling. What exactly does that mean? I think a lot of us are used to seeing like director or coordinator. How did you get your title? Yeah, I think, well, when I, when I started here, I was communications coordinator, right? After about three or four years, I started talking to my boss about my title and just telling her that it didn't really like speak to exactly what I was, what I was doing. Because whenever I would describe to people what my job was, I would say, well, I'm basically telling the district's story. That just felt right. And so I decided just to go with, I wanted to be, I think I just wanted to be storyteller of the district. I kind of noticed a little fear around that. I didn't know if the, the parents and family members would be like, you know, what we're paying a guy benefits and full-time salary to just tell stories. So head of communications, which is also what I do with crisis and things like that. That needed to be in there too, but the storytelling is what I'm really proud of. So that's kind of your main focus when you can is telling telling the stories of the district. So Adam, you did a session this year about being vulnerable in telling stories. That's pretty much what we're going to talk about for most of our time today. Can you just jump right in there and talk about what that is and why that's so important? Yeah. Vulnerability has been something that um, has been my sort of soapbox top topic for the past um couple years or so. I actually just was recently introduced to Brene Brown's work and yeah, yeah, she's awesome. Amazing. Right. Like, yeah. And she's, she's awesome. And I kind of like, I kind of developed this theory on vulnerability and it's very similar to hers. And then people were like, have you noticed who, do you know who she is? So I looked her up and I started watching her videos and I'm like, man, she beat me to it. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I really honestly, in the moment I felt like, oh man, I thought like I was onto something and I was like, oh, she, she came up with this, but it's an important message to hear. I think in the educational world, especially because people are very scared all the time of doing things that come easy to them and things that really speak to them because they're just afraid. And the idea of vulnerability is something that if we all can sit there and embrace and we, we can all like get into is something that will open up 
possibilities for our job and and communications in general. Okay, so that's like the overall view. But basically what it is is like this. Vulnerability by definition, like the way we walk around with the idea of what vulnerability is, is opening oneself up and becoming susceptible to harm and pain. That's the way we walk around. We don't want to be vulnerable because it means we could possibly get hurt. And then what we right. do, right, and then what we do is we control who we are vulnerable in front of to hopefully control the outcome of us being vulnerable. When we open ourselves up and become vulnerable, yes, we are opening ourselves up to becoming hurt. We are also opening ourselves up to joy and connection and love. And at the core of our jobs, Aaron, is we are trying to connect. We're trying to connect principles with teachers, teachers with the community, the community with the principals, the admin with the media, the media with the community. We're constantly trying to connect people. And so if we get vulnerable and we preach vulnerability and we practice vulnerability and we, we step out there first in the space of vulnerability, the educators behind us that are innately scared to be vulnerable with the public because they've been burned will follow us into that space and develop authentic connection. I understand what you're saying at a high level, sort of at a theoretical level, but I, I've got to hear some examples. How how on earth do you do that? Because I think you're right. It's, it is all about protecting yourself from getting hurt. That's all I could think about while you were talking is just knowing myself. I don't let anybody in mm -hmm. how do you how do you do that in a communications way so that you do build that trust does that make sense yeah no 100 because like it's like it's very easy to talk and say and then okay so what does that mean like how do i right. how do i be vulnerable actually walk the walk like i like what you said that you're you don't let anybody in Aaron. people think that they are vulnerable and i think if really anybody out there listening were to actually think about it and to be honest with themselves, they could probably count on one hand who they're actually vulnerable with in their lives. And two of those people or beings would be their pets because their pets don't hurt them emotionally. Yeah, they're non-judgmental, right? Yes. And so you can't pick and choose. That's the first thing you need to do. It's about accepting where you are. You cannot pick and choose what the outcome of you being vulnerable is going to be. You can't say, I'm going to be vulnerable so that I get joy back and love back. And I'm going to ignore the fact that I can get hurt because you can get hurt. The first step is to un is to accept the fact that you can get hurt. You can get burned. That's just a fact. And once you accept that, the fear starts to dissipate and you step into the unknown. People are scared of the unknown. The first step is about accepting that you can get hurt. And then the second step, once you're in the unknown, the unknown becomes a little less scary. And I think there's a bunch of projects that we have, Aaron, that are sitting on our desk that are things that we've wanted to say. What do you want to say that you're not saying? What, what message do you want to deliver that you're not delivering? And then why are you not delivering it? Those are the questions that I think can really invoke some actual thought and transformation in the vulnerable world. I was scared to go live in video in my career. You know, everyone was going live. Facebook Live was a thing like, like a big thing, like two years ago, you know, right. where it came out and it's like, okay, that district's going live, that district's going live, that district's going, like, why, why can't we go live? Right. Right. So I'm like, yeah, it's just not feeling right. Like to grab my phone and go live and it like go live in the classroom. Like, what are we trying to do that for? And so I was scared of going, the idea of going live, but I knew that I wanted to continue to open this window. 
So I expressed my fears at my cabinet meeting. And I was like, guys, I know everyone's going live right now. They're not necessarily pushing on me to go live, but I wanted them to know that I'm aware of it, that I'm scared to go live, and that it's something that I don't know if we necessarily need. So the first thing in being vulnerable was I expressed to my boss, I'm scared of doing this, and I'm scared if I don't do it, it means that you're going to think I'm not good at my job. Like we're all scared of not being worthy. Sure. So step into that space with your boss. Like that's a, that's a good place to start. She's like, your job is to try things. So I was like, okay, here's how I can make live work for me. I will still record videos as if they are live. I will then be able to control the message somewhat, not put teachers in a very vulnerable situation to the point where like they can't reprimand a kid or teach how they want to teach, not put kids out there on the internet live, which was a fear of mine. And then from there, mm -hmm create videos, put them on the internet 20 minutes later, and just interview kids and get them to tell the story. And so then that's what I've been doing. Okay. So it, it makes sense in the case of like going Facebook live, you identified the fear, you sort of came up and crafted a plan. What else? Like how okay. do we as communicators, I, th I think that we have a big responsibility as communicators if we do have to tell the stories, but we also have to be the authority. And I know if I'm just if I'm just speaking personally, any time that I consider allowing myself to be vulnerable or allowing myself to open up to somebody else, there's that innate fear that they're going to think I'm not good, mm -hmm. that I'm not good at my job, that I'm not smart, that I'm not whatever that is. So in your opinion, how do you sort of strike that balance of being authentic, of being trustworthy, of being genuine, but still being credible? Yep, I, I, I hear what you're. I hear what you're asking. Okay, so a lesson I learned when I was in radio. I remember when I was at the score, it was a big deal. I constantly was like not feeling worthy, not feeling like I deserved it, not feeling like I was good enough. And I think that's a thing that a lot of us face. That's a fear that gets in the way of us doing the things that we actually think are good and right. When I was there, I would like create and produce opens for the shows. And I constantly was like, I want to make this funny. I want to make this funny. What do the listeners think is funny? What do my coworkers think is funny? And I would put these things together and they would be very difficult to do. And they would be kind of funny, but not really. And they wouldn't be awesome. And I was like, okay, like, I guess I'm not good at doing opens. One morning, I remember being like, God, I am exhausted with trying to figure out what other what other, other people think is funny. So I just like, well, Adam, what do you think is funny? And then I started making opens from that place. And I started doing things from the place of what fills me up. What sort of things do I think are good, funny, entertaining? Because I guarantee you, the audience out I'm in my position for a reason. And the audience out there will think what I think is funny is funny or is entertaining. And maybe 15% won't and 20% will. I mean, I don't actually, none of that should even really matter. So now that I'm in this position, I have the support and confidence and clear communication with my boss to address any insecurities or fears that I have about any project I'm going to do. And then from that place, building that base and that relationship with my boss, which has given me confidence to do what I want to do with this position, it's our creation every single day. I now go, okay, what do I think is entertaining? What do I think people want to know? What sort of things do I want to do? I'm a good writer. And if I really enjoyed writing as much as like other people might, I would be writing all the time here. I, I just really like talking to kids. Like that's as simple as it is. And so now what I'm doing is I'm going to classrooms and I'm just grabbing a kid in the middle of an exercise or a lesson 
and I'm asking them to come out in the hallway and I take my cell phone and I just start talking to them on video. And I noticed that that's a really big strength of mine, getting kids comfortable enough to talk on camera and just be themselves. I would ask anyone out there that is exploring like, well, what do I do tomorrow? Like, what do I do? There is no supposed to in our industry and in our jobs. There is only what you know is best for you. And if you keep following that, you will create content that is so engaging and so authentic that people can't help but to watch it and to engage with it. So I have kind of a twofold follow-up question to that. By embracing this sort of raw vulnerability that you've been talking about, tell us a little bit about some of the stories that you've covered or sort of uncovered maybe. And then two, since you're talking about engagement with your community, what kind of different feedback are you getting now that you've totally switched the way that you think about creating content for Arlington Heights? Mm -hmm. Well, actually, I want to ask you a question, Erin. Okay, because I can edit it out if I don't like it. (laughs) That's vulnerable. There you go. All right. Okay. So you you you've explained and I you've explained that you you have some fear in the idea of like maybe saying the wrong thing, not opening up a hundred percent in the position that you're in, right? I think just in life, honestly. Okay. So beyond the idea of like what people think of you, like what is your actual fear? Like what is going on? Can you can you try and get in touch with that? Like what is what's there for you that is putting up a wall to connect when really I I make up that what you want to do is to connect with people. You know, we're we're seeing such a shift in in telling of stories and, and you're already ahead of the curve. I mean, part of your job is quite genuinely storytelling, but I think all of us that work in school PR consider ourselves storytelling. We all got in the positions that we're in because we wanted to tell the stories of the district. Mm-hmm. And if I'm looking at myself and I'm looking at my position, I'm I'm a one-person shop, which is not that uncommon. I'm in a medium, small to medium district um, where we put all of our resources into the classroom, which is where they should be going. But that means that sometimes central office looks a little bit light. If I'm looking at myself critically and I'm thinking, you know, where could I be vulnerable or what is it that I'm afraid of? I think what I'm afraid of is becoming a jack of all trades, master of none. And I've forgotten the reason that I got into school PR in the first place. That makes sense to me. That makes a lot of sense to me. This is the difficult thing for me in this message that I've been gradually trying to learn how to explain this. And I think part of what I need to do is I need to meet people where they're at. Like I'm standing at the vulnerable finish line and I'm going, everyone just come over here. I promise you the water is good, you know, and and everyone's like, yeah, I know. And it seems to be really good for you over there. And people are just unwilling because they're scared or whatever, whatever's going on. I'm just noticing a lot of unwillingness to just jump in the pool with me. I think, you know, Aaron, if you really knew me and you knew exactly, and anyone out there listening knew exactly what's going on is like, I have no fear or attachment around my job. I have that in my personal life and I have that in my relationship and I have that in many of my relationships, I've been in the same, I've been dating a girl for eight years and I'm very scared to go, okay, now it's time to get married. That's a fear of mine. And that's a fear I'm open with my girlfriend about. And she's amazing and and I love her very much. And we talk a lot openly about that. You know, she's not ready either. And that's beautiful for us. That's for my fear. I can totally understand like people that are on the other side of the vulnerability personally and like the lack of fear personally that have taken the dives that they need to they could be the say, say the same thing to me. 
Adam, the water is great. Come on over here. I promise you. And so, you know, it's the same argument, but to be honest with you, with my career, I was making like $25,000 a year working midnight overnights on the weekends in my early twenties when all my friends were having fun. And I, I woke up at three in the morning for two straight years to just do a job that I like. I really have no fear of losing where I'm at in my career because I keep going back to the place of what I'm doing is coming from my heart. And if I lose something as precious as my career doing something from my heart, then that's the lesson learned and I go forward with another job. You know, it's it's very... I have zero fear and attachment when it comes to my career. And I think that's the big thing. And I don't know how to express and guide people towards that place because a career and the amount of money you're making and what it supplies you and how it gives your kids food and it gives your lifestyle that you want, all that is like incredibly valuable to people. And it is, it is valuable, but you're all here for a reason. Like Aaron, you're in the position you are for it an authentic, amazing reason. People hired you and you are in that position for a reason. So when people come knocking on your door and you're in the middle of a passion project and they're like, we need to tweet this right now. I think it's like a very important exercise to be like, yes, I'm there to help you. And here's how, how I can help you. Yes. And yes. And constantly, this is, this is like, this is what I believe in right now. And this is what I'm going to finish or yeah, I can help you and help them. And jump back into your project. I really like how you just said that. Yes. And because we're, I know in my own district, we're talking a lot about customer service. We've got a new regime. We've got a brand new superintendent. We're kind of, you know, tightening things up and fixing other things. And we keep talking about customer service because a lot of people believe in the power of saying no. Like I, I think it's very empowering to say, no, I'm sorry. Like I'm not going to do that or no, I'm sorry. We don't have time for that. But isn't it better to do what you just said and say yes. And, and then streamline them. I think it's, I think you have to be really strong. Yeah, yes, and is like, I guess that's been my mantra here at work. I realize that whenever anybody comes to me with a request, it's coming from a personal place. That's something that's been big in our district that we've kind of jumped on. And my my, we went through a strategic plan a couple years ago. One of my coworkers, who's um, director of tech here, he was just like, everything we do here is personal. And it hit me. I'm like, that's our slogan. That's our thing. It's personal. And so- I want people to realize that every request, every email, every time a parent's frustrated, every time a parent's happy, every time a kid's frustrated or a principal's frustrated or anyone's angry or anything, it's all literally coming from a very personal place. Like when people come into my office, that's how I'm able to yes and them. I know that they're saying, hey, this flyer that I made is really important to me. And I, I, I did my whole, like I put my whole heart into this thing. And I I just want people to know that this event that I'm putting on is happening. Can you help me? Yes, of course I can help you. And here's how I can help you. You email me the details. You email me your target market. And from there, I will distribute it the way that I see fit. People just want to hear that their stuff is important to you. That's what they want. So that's how I'm able to focus on the things that I, that fill my cup up and also take care of everyone else that needs my help. I think you said that really well. Thanks. This has been very interesting to me because, you know, I've got this message down pat in my head, but I'm noticing that it's very difficult to convey and get people to come on over to my end of the pool. 
I think people understand it in theory. I think it's the practice of it that's difficult, or it's one of those things that you're you're looking at the situation almost like a case study, and you're like, yes, of course that makes sense. But then when you apply it to your own life or district or, or whatever the situation is, it's like, oh no, but that won't work for me because like you can always make an excuse. So to sort of circle back to where we started this conversation, because I do feel just a tiny bit like I'm in therapy right now, which I'll probably have to go to therapy to address. <laughs> <laughs> this this practice, how has it changed your storytelling okay. in your district? Thank you. What this practice has done is it's gotten me in touch with exactly what we're doing here every single day. It's allowed me to ignore the thoughts and daily distractions and drama, drama that comes up around those and continue mm-hmm. to reinforce and focus. This is what's important. So I take the train into work every single day. And I bike around town. That's how I get from building to building. On those bike rides and on those train rides, I'll go, you know what? I don't feel like going into the office right now. So I'm just going to go to a school. And that's simple awareness. It's simply, it's, it's, be myself, it's being vulnerable with myself, accepting it, and then being aware of what's here now for me, which is I don't want to go in the office. There's no reason why. I don't need to analyze it. Right now, I want to just go to a school. So then I just pick a school and go to it. And then I sit in the front office and I talk to the admin assistants who are our best friends, talk to the principal for a while and realize I'm doing my job. Sit there, answer emails. I'm around. People trust me. I'm vulnerable with them on an individual basis. I tell my story to them. I I skip over the surface level stuff that we could talk about, like weather and things like that. And I get right into it with these, these relationships And I create relationships at all these buildings because that's what I want. I want connection. I want relationships. And then from there, all of a sudden, teacher walks by and goes, oh, I'm glad you're here. I forgot to email you. In 10 minutes, we have this cool thing going on. Oh, my God, I'm there for it. Or, you know what, tomorrow we're doing this. Or can you help me with the website? It's it's amazing what just being around and being vulnerable with your coworkers will actually do to create how you can communicate. And from there, stories pop up. And from there, I have trust and I walk into a classroom and then now I'm in my genius and now I'm in my space. I mean, I've posted things on Facebook that, you know, are pretty vulnerable to these kids. I've posted things with spelling mistakes and with errors and with, you know, wrong information. But because I'm being so genuine and vulnerable and because my boss can see that and the community now can see that, they skip over that stuff. They just watch the video for what it is. So you mentioned your community. What sort of change have you seen in the way that your community is responding to your district and the messages you're putting out? How is the way that you tell stories and the way that you've changed how you tell stories, what is that doing for you as far as building positive investment and getting feedback from your community? I do it from a raw place and they can tell it's authentic and they can tell when I'm interviewing these kids like on our Facebook page, that's what I would implore people to do if they're trying to see actual examples. Go to facebook.com slash AHSD25, AHSD25, and scroll through our videos. It's me interviewing kids, and they're not produced, they're not edited, they're raw and authentic. And our parents are starting to, the most beautiful thing is, they're starting to create their own community of interacting on our Facebook page. It's really, it's been fun to watch. So on the times where parents are, you know, amped about certain things or need questions about, need questions answered about certain things. I mean, I think I've kind of opened up 
the window to the classroom from a really authentic and trusting place. They can't see, there's, there's nothing being pulled over their eyes. There's nothing, like it's very raw. That's the word I'll keep coming back to. It's, it's just raw interaction between me and a kid and a student. And the most beautiful thing is you'll see like the grandma see it and tag the mom or the neighbors see it and tag their friend from down the street who tags the other person. And then the mom and dad are like, oh my God, that's my kid. And my kid's talking about this project that they did. And they're like so happy talking about it. So I think it's this community that I've created on Facebook where parents feel that it's authentic and raw. So by creating better, more authentic content, you're actually increasing engagement with your community. Yeah, it's yeah. I just I just drop the video on Facebook and I just say, hey, here's a here's a child from Dryden. They started their own student newspaper. I mean, that's what happened at one of our schools. I just put it on Facebook and then it got like 5000 views, shared a bunch. A local TV station saw it and then asked if that kid could be like a guest reporter on the morning news show and like. That kid's like year was totally made from that one five minute interview. And she runs a student newspaper out of her classroom. You know, it's, it's a very simple story. We should put our money where our mouth is and we mm-hmm. tell people that their stories are important to us. And so we should cover them as if they're all amazing, important stories. Well, I think that this has been an amazing and important story. And I know other people are going to think that too. Adam, I fully anticipate that people are going to want to reach out to you directly. Can you tell us where to find you on social media? Yeah, thanks. Um, Okay, so my Twitter handle is at aharrissd25. My email address is aharris at sd25.org. Yeah, those are my professional places. Perfect. Thank you. I I really appreciate you coming on today. I know you've got a lot to do. You've probably got some incredible stories you need to tell today. Um, This was an important conversation. It made me a little uncomfortable, which I think just sort of testifies to the point that it is so important that we should be pushing ourselves all the time. So I I appreciate your time today. Yeah, of course, Aaron. Thanks. I know I can get up on a soapbox and just go for it and just talk and talk and talk. So um, I hope it was concise enough for people to kind of get the grasp of what I was trying to say. That was good. I I appreciate your time. Thanks, Aaron. Okay, I'll be honest with you guys. This conversation with Adam Harris was one of the hardest interviews I've ever had to do. We had a lot that we talked about. Um, Some of that was even off mic because he really pushed me to be vulnerable, to be raw, and it was a little bit uncomfortable. But I got to thinking, that's exactly why vulnerability is so important. If it pushes you out of your comfort zone, then think about what you're going to create. Think about what you're going to put out and how much our audiences can benefit that. Thank you, Adam, so much for that conversation. It was tough, but it was valuable and I hope our audiences think that it's valuable too. I'm excited to share that kind of continuing on with this idea of vulnerability being raw and being real in a future episode we will have Sean McKillop and Kristen Majette as a guest to continue that conversation that's been a hot topic this year in school PR and that's one of wellness both mental physical health Um, And then that work-life balance that we all strive. So be sure that you're downloading and subscribing so that you never miss an episode. This podcast works best when we are actively engaging with our audiences. And Justin and I want to hear from you. Be sure to reach us at schoolprhappyhour at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at sprhappyhour. Or follow us on Instagram at schoolprhappyhour. Thanks for listening to School PR Happy Hour. I'm Erin McCann. Until next time, let's all try to be a little bit better at our jobs every day.